There are shows with psychics. And there are shows with doctors. But there's no show like the psychic and the doc. Your practical paranormal power unleashed. This show synthesizes the talents of world-class medium Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, psychic explorer, and street-smart spiritualist, behavioral psychologist, Dr. Pat Vasily. This is The Psychic. And The Doc. And it starts now. I never get tired of our intro, Dr. Pat. Oh, my God. I just like, I just like, who are those crazy people? <laughs> Well, you know, we, we had so much uh, fun uh, when we were doing that yeah, recording of that, and uh, it was so, so creative. And, you know, I think we're going to have uh, quite a bit of fun tonight, too. We're going to have fun tonight, too. Uh, I'm already having fun. Before you even introduce our, our guests, I got to tell you, I did a sneak peek. And I, I took a sneak peek, and I, I'm not going to say who she is because I'm going to let you do that. But I looked at her newsletter. And I looked at the best and the worst and I'm reading down the page and there's something literally out of this page. I thought, oh, my gosh, she is right on. So it's the good news and the bad news. And I'm just going to say this and then you take it away. The good news proves anybody can look anywhere in the world over and find family. The bad news is that it's also much easier now more than ever before to find fault with your cousin next door. Thank you, my friends and family, for sending me all of this wonderful, challenging fan mail you do. Mark, take it away. You know, we are honored tonight to have as our guest, Dr. PMH Atwater, who is one of the original researchers in the field of near-death experience studies. Dr. Atwater's research really stands out because it establishes that the near-death phenomenon, it's not just some kind of anomaly, but it's actually part of a larger genre of transformations of consciousness. She combines her decades of near-death research with the examination of altered states of consciousness, mysticism, and psychic phenomenon. This lifetime endeavor conducted by Dr. Atwater covers over 43 years of work and involves the examination of nearly 7,000 people. Dr. PMH Atwater has lectured twice to the United Nations and she's appeared on major TV and radio shows. She's received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Association of Trans Personal Hypnotherapists and the Outstanding Service Award from the International Association for Near-Death Studies. PMH Atwater is the author of 18 books. Her latest is The Forever Angels, Near-Death Experiences in Childhood and Their Lifelong Impact. Now, due to a technical difficulty, she won't be on camera, but let me tell you something. It's going to take a lot more than a technical problem to stop this force of nature from coming onto the show, The Psychic and the Doc. Welcome, Dr. PMH Outwater. It's good to have you. Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's going to stop me. (laughs) Um, well, uh, speaking of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, I have it on good information that you are one of the headline speakers at the IONS uh, online conference uh, between September 2nd and, and the 5th. Is that true? Well, I'm one of the founders. 
I figured. So I go way back. I go way back, guys. Way back. Kenneth wow. Ring. Kenneth Ring first found me. Uh, I had written a little book called "I Died Three Times in 1977." It, it was in a Hartford bookstore. He walked in, saw that title of that little book, and tracked me down by telephone. He came over. I was living then in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He came over. My, my husband and I. He came over, over. Spent the weekend with us. And then said, you, uh, uh, he, you know, we had all kinds of discussions and talks and everything. And then by the, by the early morning hours, he said to me, you know more about the near-death experience than anyone else. Wow. You have to come up to, to um, Connecticut and, and meet, your, meet your colleagues. I didn't know there was a, you know, any colleagues. I, I didn't, you know, I, I'd never heard of Raymond Moody, never read the book, none of that. Uh, all, all I knew was what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had told me when uh, I met her at yeah. O'Hare Airport. That was in 1978. Um, I told her about my experience. She called me a near-death survivor. She didn't use the word experiencer. And she told me all about the, the near-death experience. I, I only had what she said. And um, in, my, in my third near-death experience, I was told by an incredible voice. I call it the voice like none other. I mean, it was a voice that was so big, it filled the universe. I mean, wow. And that voice said, and I quote, test revelation you are to do the research one book for each death then it showed me um what i was to do it didn't tell me how to do it it did not name book one it did name book two which is future memory if you haven't read that book get it it is not a book it is a labyrinth you have to read it like you walk through a labyrinth and it will bring your consciousness up to the next highest level possible for you. The third book is a manual for, for developing humans. It's also a very different kind of book. Um, you'll, <laughs> you, you will be amazed when you start reading it. And then, you know, that's all I had. And, um, wait, wait, that's you know, all you had. That's like, I mean, you know, let, that's that's like, it. I mean, <laughs> it, it, this is like interviewing Moses, you know, yes. I mean, so, so this Bush, um, you, you heard a voice, right? So, yeah, but, well, but, hey, <laughs> all I could go on was I was a cop's kid. I was raised in a police station. So I used police investigative techniques as my protocol. Perfect. My dad always said, the body says more than the mouth does. So I'm watching, I'm watching bodies. I'm, I'm watching how you walk. I'm watching how you sit. I'm getting into your homes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm, I'm talking to your, your children or your healthcare givers or your, uh, the neighbors. I'm talking to everybody I po possibly can 
to find out if what you're telling me really passes muster with what everybody else is seeing. So I'm going over and over and over again. I re- when I was in Minnesota, I, I forget what town I was in. I even went door to door looking for these people. I would knock on the door <laughs> and say, uh, you know, have you had a near-death experience? I found one person doing that. <laughs> wow. It was that crazy what happened to me. Um, and to just show you how crazy it was. Yeah. At that, I was uh, um, I was working. Well, by that time, I had immigrated from Idaho to Virginia, so I'm sort of in Virginia. But I have a job that takes me all over everywhere. I, I work for uh, a, a telephone company. Uh, uh, that uses the new switching units. So I, I'm, I'm being sent all over um, any, anywhere east of the Mississippi River. So I'm going all over these different towns and places. And, and so I'm doing a job in Macon, Georgia. And, and, you know, I have a little extra time. So I take my little paperback. I go over to the truck stop and I'm sitting there and I'm having some orange juice and I'm reading from my book. I'm just sitting at a little table right out in the the middle of the place. And I have this guy walk up to me that I swear is as white as he was tall. And he comes up to me and says, lady, anybody sitting in that chair next to you? I said, no. He said, can I sit there? And I thought, well, (laughs) you know, what could happen? So, okay, you can sit. And so he puts his elbow on the table. He, He gets as close to my face as he can get. And he looks at me eyeball to eyeball and he says, I want you to know that I still swear and I still drink whiskey, but I want you to know all about the time I died and what I saw. Well, (laughs) I mean, I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me. And that kind of thing happened for years and years and years. I finally decided that I must be wearing some kind of billboard that on the back says, tell me about your near-death experience. Because, you know, how how do these people know? Well, let me, can I back up a bit? And I know um, we're coming up on the break, but um, I want to talk about the voice. And uh, because I've had and I think many people have had encounters with with um, an entity and and intelligence Mm -hmm. they term as the voice. And and uh, Dr. Pat, I believe you've you've talked about this as well, because you've been through, I mean, so many. Yeah, boy, do I talk about the voice. Yeah. Yeah, baby. What did it sound like? Oh, we got quite a group tonight. Oh, we do. We do. Yeah, baby. We got the metaphysical uh, trio going on here. My Um, voice never came to me oming. It didn't happen. I'm a girl from the Bronx. My voice didn't come to me quite that way. But does it matter, right, Mark? No, it doesn't matter. Right. No, No. it doesn't. And um, uh, Dr. Atwater, 
how would you describe the voice? Was it male? Was it female? Was it both? Neither? You're not sure? What? How did you perceive? Let me give you a little preface. Let me give, give you a little preface. <laughs> Back in Idaho, I started Idaho's first nonprofit metaphysical corporation by the name of Inner Forum. Mm-hmm. We ran for seven years. I held all kinds of conferences. Um, all gave all kinds of classes. We did everything we could to bring in the best uh, to tell people um, uh, the difference between, you know, that which is really good and that which is questionable. And um, so I've been around hundreds of people, thousands of people, literally thousands of people for decades and decades before I ever died. And I was, I was sort of born this way, kind of. And so um, I knew voices. And I know um, contacting people on the other side, that's not new to me. Right. Prayer, that's not new to me either. And even being able to get these incredible voices that just, every cell in your body, um, you're alert and and, and you say, okay, (laughs) okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Um, Some of these voices that are just so spiritual and so high. So please know I'm acquainted with all of that. Right. And then I died in 1977. How, if you don't, um, don't am I asking? Do you mind sharing uh, what, how you died, and, and what led up to that? I mean, if that's okay, mm-hmm. just a little bit. I was raped. Oh, yeah, and oh, so um, became pregnant, and um, uh, it was the complications from the pregnancy that caused the deaths. Oh my goodness! Um, my first one was January second, nineteen seventy seven. Uh, then, um, uh, then it was, um, January four and then March 29. And then later that year, I had three major relapses, one of which was total adrenal failure. When this was all over or even during it, I had to relearn how to stand, how to crawl, um, how to walk, how to tell the difference between left and right, how to see properly, hear properly, and I had to rebuild all my belief systems. So everything I knew up until that point, I lost it. It was gone. And I had to rebuild everything, everything. And in that rebuilding process, I discovered me I didn't didn't know existed. And, and, And that voice that spoke to me is I cannot compare it to voices in prayer. I cannot compare it to um, any other kind of voice I've ever heard in my life or ever heard of. All I can say is that this voice owns the universe. Yes. Um, This voice owns the universe. It is a voice that is above and beyond mm-hmm. anything you can think of that is spiritual. And, and that voice is what spoke to me. And it is that voice that uh, I have obeyed 
and I finished my research this year. Um, not completely. I still have a, I have a couple of books I want to do, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about. But in essence, my work is done. Work is done in the sense of that voice and what it told me to do. Uh, if I'm going to get a new assignment, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling that that's coming. But but I do know that, um, and Dr. Powell and I were talking about this um, at our production meeting, that, um, and, and I, I mentioned that when I called you, I said, well, we'd like to know about, you know, you are a researcher and one of the original near-death experience researchers right. in a field that is traditionally dominated by men. Oh, yeah. you know, and I know Dr. Pat, um, you know, you do so much wonderful work with, with women and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do you know how I, I got out? Do you know how I squeezed through that? <laughs> that was going to be my next question. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. You and I both squeezed through that hole. Yeah. Let, 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 I, oh, the way I squeezed through that hole. I had immigrated, and I use that that word because it's true. I had immigrated from Idaho to Virginia, and that's true. It wasn't immigration because I felt that um, the United States ended at Denver, and so anything east of Denver was in Greece or Europe or Russia, but it wasn't in the United States. So... Um, it was a real adventure for, 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 me, for me to come to Virginia. I worked in the Washington, D.C. area for a while. And, um, and, and I began my research in the Washington, D.C. area because that's where I was. That's where I got plunked, found a job there, and began. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Mark, you're going to love this. The, the first talk I gave in the Washington, D.C. area <laughs> was at a, at a police station and then they had a large hall and, and where they invited people to come in and give talks. So my right. very first talk was in a police station. And I thought, Oh, this is, how was that received? Be because I know that you were raised um, in a, in a uh, law enforcement family and you know, as a prosecutor and defense attorney, I've worked with, and as a medium, actually, I've worked with law enforcement quite a bit. And I know that people certainly have their, conceptions but cops, it terrified me cops it terrified see, me cops see everything they see everything all walks of life everything so I, I i know that you just said it terrified you but how was it received not the cops it was the audience yeah I was just when i say. was through with my talk <laughs> i had a woman come up to me with stars in her eyes hmm. And she said, oh, I wish something like that would happen to me Mm. so I could be like you. And I just thunderbolts of terror went through me. God, did I do it? I mean, what did I do to, to mislead this woman? So at that moment... I never talked about my experience again for several decades. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I did not want to mislead anybody because you can get, you know, you can get this through, through other means and other areas. Um, so for me, research was always, 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 always first. Always. Yeah. 
I love that about you. One of the things the first time you and I talked, and you probably don't remember it, was related to you on two two bases. One one was both you and I probably had bell-shaped heads from the Bell Company for a long time. Um, but the other thing that I read and I picked up and I stay, it stayed with me because my research was challenged too when I included a scale on spirituality. And that is the Russian proverb, trust but verify. Oh, yeah, and that, that, that's, that's my motto. That's your motto. and Absolutely, trust but verify. Trust but verify. And what you went up against with the criticism of your research and, oh, and you know the resilience my that you must dear. have had to get through that this is the reason i'm talking with you about it for those people that contact me once a week about wanting to use my research this body of work or when you are rigorous in what you bring forward and when you do what you do this builds resilience or in my mom's case it killed her but this builds the thing that only the guidance of a voice can carry you forward. And when I was asked, what was the voice like when somebody I'm doing a lot of interviews now. So now I get to be on the other side of the table and boy, I'm telling you, I'm learning some stuff. But when I'm, at, <laughs> I'm at, when I'm asked, when I was asked not too long ago, what that voice was, my answer was in the world that I live in, it is already an indescribable decibel. It cannot be described. Even the word decibel doesn't really make it. Yeah. But what you've done, and to be here laughing about it, and to hear you say that this, let's just call it episode from The Voice, you're done. I got to tell you, I'm excited about whether you get a new voice or something happens because... <laughs> These are the things that we're being asked to talk about. And there's a boldness. And, you know, I have to give you credit for this. Two days ago, for the first time in an 18-year career doing this, 10 years with the network, I finally said out loud the diagnosis I had after I passed out one day, ended up in an emergency vehicle, rushed to a hospital, but the experience I had afterwards and what they said about me, I never really shared. And what happened with that was with 100 tests, everything upside down, one doctor says, you know what we think about you? We think you're on the spectrum. Now, mind you, I'm a lot smarter today. I thought he meant the color spectrum. <laughs> I looked at this doctor and I said, well, I love purple. And he looked at me and he said, I am not talking about that spectrum. <laughs> and, you know, this is the world we're living when we can now be open about who we are. But maybe being on that spectrum. Thank you, Elon Musk and Saturday Night Live for most of us. Maybe there was an opening that helped us. And I think that's part of this ongoing conversation that we'd love to have with you. You know, well, I, I, I had, um, how do I put this into words? Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I'm here in Virginia. I had an opportunity to move to Roanoke, Roanoke Virginia. Mm -hmm. So from the DC area. So I did. Yeah. Uh, and in, um, 
I, I, I was stay I was staying overnight. Not uh, uh, um, I was able to rent a bedroom from a retired couple from Ohio. So, so I'm there. I get a I get this job. Uh, this telephone kind of a job that takes me all over everywhere, and um, and I, and I'm um, and 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 then Terry Atwater had a po had uh, mm-hmm. proposed, mm-hmm. and and so I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get married. <laughs> what will my name be? And um, so I'm thinking and thinking, what you know, numerology, astrology, couldn't couldn't peg the name at all. So so I gave it to God. Oh, yeah. God, you name me. So th- that night I had uh, the most unusual vision I have ever had. This sparkly black background and these huge mammoth block white shiny letters that said P period, M period, H period, Atwater. And I jump bed. And, and and I go screaming into the in, into the the, ki- the kitchen where where these lovely people were seated, and and sat down at a table. And I said, "What? What? That's that's got to be the dumbest, most egotistical, most stupid name I have ever heard in my life." And then I heard myself cursing. What 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 God had given me. Mm-hmm. So I I went back into prayer. Yep. And I said, um, is this the real name you want me to wear? You know, is this is this my name? Um and after 9 days, it felt like I had been born with that name. So when Terry and I were married, um, uh, I filled out all the forms that go, go through the legal system. From now on, I'm PMH Atwater. And so all of my books had PMH Atwater on them. Well, guess what? People couldn't tell male, female, so that it, they thought yep. that it was male. And it, it was because uh, of yep. that male-sounding name that my research was accepted. That's right. You and J.K. Rowling. Exactly, right? That's, it. That's exactly what happened. And, and, you know, and D.C. Fontana, she was one of the producers of Star Trek. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. Um, and um, we could even bring in uh, Rocky for a minute. Um, Rocky... Um, when she, you know, uses that name because she found that when she was using her full name, a lot of male production people wouldn't get back with her. And and I'm really glad, Dr. Atwater, that you're bringing this up because yeah. women have such a hurdle to overcome in these. Look, I, I'm in the legal profession, which is now for the first time in history, they say in law schools, law school classes are closer to 60 percent women and 40 percent male when. And 
when uh, right. formerly the other way around, yeah. yeah, the other way around. I mean, there was a time when it was like ninety percent uh, men. So at least in the legal profession, which is usually twenty, thirty years behind the times, um, that finally. Um, caught up and so well that's, that's how my fascinating. work yeah and, and, you, that's true. And, and the voice helped you or helped you or guided you or gave you that information wow yeah yeah so um yeah. that's how i broke through the barrier i love it though because you know when spirit operates when you hear the voice we we always think sometimes that you know if we go to this place now i hear it i mean this is what happened to me after that drive to the hospital event i wasn't the same i couldn't do anything with my phd i was supposed to be a big time consultant hello I mean, I'm telling you, I came home and I was so lost. I created the concept of crust busting. And, I, and, I, and I'm telling you, I accidentally dialed a phone number and I didn't hang up. Uh, that is. And I pulled out a credit card in 2003 and off I went doing a whole bunch of things, being guided. And the first time I tried to tell someone, especially the partner I was with, I know I just have to do this. The answer was, you sure we shouldn't take you back to the hospital? <laughs> I, I said, no, because we know I'm on the, quote, spectrum. So we all have to get over it. But that really wasn't it. I was different. Yeah. I was different. Yeah. I didn't know how to say what you just said to describe it. Yeah. I didn't have those words. I wasn't in the arena I'm in today. I was a corporate Bell Labs, put on your little fancy corporate bow tie. I worked my way up from homelessness, jail, worked in the mailroom, part of divestiture, executive position. And then I looked in the mirror and I was unrecognizable right. to myself. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. I've I've had two mothers and five fathers, and so, you know, <laughs> I, I can go through all of that kind of stuff too. Um, but I'll I'll, I'll tell you, um, I was I didn't even know what an abstract was. I didn't know what a paper was. <laughs> I had no idea what those things were. My idea of higher education was how high you could clear a corral fence when a bull was chasing you. Now that's higher education. And I, I, and so I had I had to learn yeah. I had to learn all that and I finally got myself into college that was in Montreal, Quebec. Wow. In the United States and I got an LHD which is not a, a you know it's not like a PhD but but I it's did the work a, it's still a D. <laughs> I, I did the work and and I got I got my papers published in peer reviewed journals some of my work I was mentioned in Lancet Medical Journal for some of my work I mean my work nearly 5,000 uh, adults and, and child experiencers. So if you're going to look back mm -hmm. at my total involvement in working with people, but even before I died, you know, if you're going to look at that, 
then it's closer to seven or eight thousand people yeah. that I've worked with. But yeah. but specifically, um, nearly five thousand adults and children, mm-hmm. and um, spent a lot of time on oh. on the after effects because that's so important that we look at the after effects and especially with children. And I'm going to tell everybody get the book. Um, the Forever Angels. Oh, I love that book. Because we've got to look at the whole experience and how it affects children. Yes, the, the out-of-the-mouth-of-babes stories are wonderful. We love love those stories. But who goes back five years later, ten years later, t- 20 years later and talks to that same kid? Uh, what's it like for you now? And you'll find out it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. What we're finding with what, what I found now, excuse me, this is a major study. It's 397 people. So it's a major study of, of child experiencers. Um, it started in the nineties my first book on that was, was the new children and, and near-death experiences. And um, in that study, um, my limit or what I was looking for was birth to the age of 15. Well, I had hardly any teenagers or tweens. Um, it, it went up to about the age, age of, of, of seven. So I could take that work and I could combine it with a new study. Um, uh, five years old, um, birth to the age of five. So, so I could combine those studies. So that's, that's the 397. Um, and, and what I was looking for with the latest batch, <clears throat> excuse me, with the latest batch was... I was the first batch was primarily um, the young, younger set, uh, and the young, youngest person I worked with was four years old, so uh, up up into their twenties. This time mm-hmm. I went after um, those that were more mature. So we're looking at people fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. And, and they had to validate their experience. Well, believe it or not, this lady who was 82, she, um, her sister was able to validate her experience. Her sister was in her 70s. So it was just, you know, fabulous. Uh, but my question to the, the older people was, mm-hmm. uh, did having a death experience at that tender age make any difference in your life if it did what so basically i'm asking for essays uh i'll tell you those essays many of them were so tear-stained i could hardly read them one woman mm-hmm. uh, said said and she's a woman in poverty yeah. she said nobody checks people in poverty. Well, I did. She saved all her pennies until she could afford in a, in a folder to send me her, her material. 
I mean, it's fabulous. And, 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 and what I'm finding with these kids, most of them, most of them could remember their birth. One third could remember being in the womb. Two could remember conception. One of them drew a picture of it when she could and showed it to her parents. And they were very embarrassed, but she was very right. So she was there and saw you know, all the exercises that they were doing in bed and um, drew, a picture of, <laughs> drew a picture of it. Can you wow. imagine that? Mm. Uh, but, but, but these kids... They come, most of them are coming back more intelligent, really intelligent. Um, and um, it's fabulous. Um, a lot of them are coming back abstracting. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what abstracting is like. Please. Let me give you an example. Yeah. This is, a, this is a, a first grader, and he's not quite six, Georgia, and he drowns halfway through school, first grade. Um, they were able to bring him back. He, uh, he recovered, and he's now back in school. And stop for a minute. What are kids reading in the first grade? See, spot, run. Mm -hmm. Dick and Jane. This kid is reading Greek mythology, understands it, and goes up to his teacher and says, why was the book Robinson Crusoe ever written? Twain! Should pull him out of the first grade, of course. They're able to abstract. Plus, many of them has, have stenesthesia. Now, that's when the limbic system in the brain, where all of our um, emoting and everything is, is um, um, the, the seat of that. Um, where you're um, uh, often, uh, that tends to be very different. Let, let me give you an example of synesthesia. I can do that from my own life. No, no I, was, I, I did not have a near-death experience as a little bitty kid, but I was born with synesthesia, where, where your sensing systems are different. So in first grade, I was the only kid in school who could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. I spent most of the first grade on a tall stool in front of the class, having to wear a tall conical hat that said dunce on it as, as an example of a bad child who told lies. Right. Thank you. You know, and um, I, I got kicked out of Catholic boarding school for that. I mean, it, it was a nightmare. Six. By the time I was, <laughs> I was, I was through with the first grade. I was so angry. Oh my gosh! I yeah. decided that all adults were stupid, and I was never going to be one when I grew up. <laughs> I don't so, think I'm one yet. So, Doctor Atwater, <laughs> how can people find out about you and your yep. books? 
Yeah. Yes. What, what's your website? Oh, well, certainly my website, www.pmhatwater.com. Um, if you're interested in my newsletter, and I tell everybody. The newsletter is great. Only for the yeah, kids. The newsletter is awesome. great. So people because, go to, because you never know what's going to be in it. Exactly. <laughs> you get over to my, you get, you get on my newsletter or, or website uh, and then you go over to newsletter and there's an archive there. So you can look at previous issues and, uh, and then you sign up there and you get the free one. So um, every every month, <laughs> I know that, oh, the book is available on Amazon. I just want to make sure we we mention that for those. Oh out yeah, there. Don, all of yeah. my books are. Yeah. By the way, um, you know, all of you them and are. I interviewed on the book in 2019, and I just want to say to everybody, the book go over to Amazon on it. But now, when you go over to Amazon, look what I want to tell y'all is what you have is you got the book, you got the Kindle, you got the audio book, you've got a lot. It's available like for everyone. And, and you know, and a hey, real Dr. plug here. <laughs> real Dr. plug Atwater, here. I have to interrupt. I have to. Oh, interrupt. okay. 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 Interrupt. You're an, you're an <laughs> awesome. You're an awesome writer. Okay. I'm a character. Uh, I, I I was reading. Uh, I've read your books, and I was reading your books, and the way you write. It's mm-hmm. yes, it's technical, but it's like I'm reading a novel and I can't wait to find out what happens next. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so oh, everybody, so well, it's the truth. So if you want to get Dr. Atwater's books, visit pmhatwater.com or you can go and do an Amazon search and do books by uh, PMH Atwater and you're going to get the, the whole list of them. So I didn't mean to, to interrupt, but I wanted people to understand that because a lot of people think when we're writing books uh and and we're explaining things from a scientific or technical part um it's going to be like trudging through a a real estate and calculus textbook rolled into one hey i don't bore anybody no exactly (laughs) so so i know that you know as as one of the founders of ions and this year is the 40th anniversary of the founding of ions what what are you talking about what's your what's uh your topic I'm going to talk a little bit about Ken Ring and how he found me and uh, insisted that I go up to stores to meet um, my colleagues. Of course, I didn't know I had a colleague. And uh, and I, uh, IANS had been um, in existence for maybe two months. And so I went up there and... Um, I challenged their archives, so I I could read everything they did in their files, and I put together um, uh, my first questionnaire I, I ever did, and and so I sent um, fifty copies out to their people, fifty copies out to my people. I'm, I mean, f- f- uh, fifty. Um, um, people, a uh, hundred there, hundred. Anyway, um, got the replies back, and their people and my people were all saying the same thing: love, 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 unconditional love, going on and on and on about God and about angels and all that stuff. But my people, I knew different. I knew they were having problems in their homes. I knew there was divorce. 
I knew all kinds of things that, that were challenging them. And then, twang, I got it. I got it. Absolutely. None of us know what unconditional love is. We're talking all about unconditional love. We don't know what it means. Unconditional love is God's love. Hmm. It's, it's every woman you see is mother, your aunt, your daughter. Every man you see is your father, your 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 son, your brother. That's unconditional love. And, 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 and we don't have a grasp of that. So in trying to live that, in, in trying to know what that is, we tumble over ourselves. And, and we get into this, this area of after effects, and I really get deeply into that in all of my books, and especially with little bitty kids especially little bitty kids, I'm going to give you a number. And that number is is 74. Remember 74%. 74% of my 397 people were um, very, very successful in life. Um, several, Several of them became millionaires. 74%, another 74%, were suicide prone. Yeah. Wow. Because children have no idea what suicide is. A, a child's thinking is, oh, I'm in this beautiful, wonderful, beautiful world with beautiful people, and I'm not breathing. Ah, oh, now... I'm breathing again, but that world is gone. So the way to get back to that world is to kill myself. They don't know the difference. Um, There's a whole chapter in the book called PTSD. 34% in my research were positive about having had a near-death experience. 61% were negative. Um, and that, and that's it's it's home. It's all about home. They want to go back to their home. Um, it's all a, a guilt for wanting to go back, betrayal for getting kicked out. It's all about home. Um, can, I, so can I ask a question? We need to look at that. It is, um, I know from law, um, when you, when, when I'm interviewing or questioning an adult, that's one thing, but you have to take a different approach with children and with, with something as complex and spiritual as a near death experience, how is it different for you or what do you do differently in discussing or interviewing a child as opposed to an adult who's had an NDE? You have your eyes above theirs. Never. So if the kid is four years old, guess where you are? You is on your knees or on, on the floor. 
Your eyes can never be above theirs, ever. It always has to be at the eye level. And when you're working with the, when you're working with children, you have to make sure their parents are not in the room. There are no other, um, like a school teacher or something like that, uh, or nurse. Or they cannot be in the room. It's just you and the kid. And maybe you might pat him a little bit on the shoulder and just, you know, just listen and smile. And, and and open up the conversation, and they'll take off 90 miles an hour. You don't have to worry about kids. And, and you know, if you want to ask a little question, that's fine. But mainly, you're looking at the body. Remember what my dad said. The body says more than the mouth does. So you're you're watching what they're doing that has a meaning, and you and you know what that meaning is. It makes a real difference. I want to I want to say something here. Um, I don't know how long this show is, but I want to talk about out of body experiences. Yep. We have a good six with, minutes for you to go. We have how long? Six minutes. Okay, I'll hurry. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, this case, Alma, and she had her near-death experience at the age of two because um, the the family friend um, kept coming into her bedroom and he'd shut the door and he'd climb on, you know, um, (laughs) I'm rushing, Um, and, and he would rape her. A child, when they're under stress or when they're in a difficult situation, the soul always goes up to the ceiling. That's not an out-of-body experience. That is a defense mechanism. Any child, whether they're a baby whether they're a kid, whether they're three or four years old, whether they're six or seven, if, if, if they are under stress or frightened, always the soul will leave the body. That's how they save themselves. That's a defense mechanism. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. That that's just amazing. Um, I just want to reiterate um, what your talk at Ions. You're going to be discussing how you, you said Ken Ring. I know he's a friend of yours, but that he's um, Dr. Kenneth Ring, and um, I've had the pleasure of of talking to Dr. Ring. He actually endorsed my last book, Evidence of Eternity, and, and and you endorsed my upcoming book, The Afterlife Frequency. I'm I'm very honored. Uh, thank thank you for for that. And if anyone wants to find out more about Dr. Atwater and do sign up for her newsletter, it's fascinating. Her books are simply amazing. Please visit pmhatwater.com. So other than IANS, I know that you are always in motion. What do you have coming up, Dr. Atwater? Well, I want to tell everybody about the Animal Life series. I wrote three, six books for... Um, 
um, parents and, and, and children about animal babies that come from the light, they go in boom, uh, and birth and miscarriage and all these things that can happen. And I did this so that parents and grandparents every, everywhere could sit down with their, their, their children and find out, can they remember birth? Can they remember being in the womb? Can they remember any of that? And so you go to Amazon.com, you go Animal Light Series, and it's Winnie Rolls Around, who's a horse, Busy Betty Wiggles, who's a monkey, Opsa Baby, who's a skunk, Tommy Two Toes, which is a fawn, Wee Wee Willikins, which is a hedgehog, and Sally Susie Q, excuse me, who's a kitten. And, and, And so I wrote these books for for parents and grandparents everywhere so the, that they could, they could have a way of setting sitting down with their children and and find out what they can remember wow that is just that is so interesting um what prompted you yeah. to work with children in in the in your death experience arena they just popped up <laughs> Great I didn't answer. go after them. They came after me. <laughs> they just awesome. popped up. Yeah. Yep. It, yep. It, yeah, All I, of it just popped up. Yeah. Please no. I didn't yeah. plan this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that that's where we're kind of bringing this full circle because you know, some people have asked me, what would your life have been like if you, I don't know, like, let me just put it bluntly, not have followed the voice. And I said, how do I know? I no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How would I know? But here you are. Of service yeah, to I've been so doing many. this for yeah. nearly 44 years. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, can, I, I can't imagine doing it any differently, but I must say I'm now working on my 19th book. Yep. And it's, it's kind of like a little bit of a, uh, a memoir. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking at my life and, uh, um, you know, all of it. And, and it, 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 there's a lot of grief in there. Mm-hmm. And I've really gotten into grief because uh, when, uh, when I was a little kid going to school, that's Pearl Harbor. So mm-hmm. everywhere. There's the Nazis. There's Hitler. The, the, uh, people dying everywhere. And uh, life was so difficult. You know, we, we look at COVID-19 now and, and all of these terrible things that are happening. We don't know nothing like we had to face then. I mean, if you were going to eat, you had a victory garden. If you didn't have a victory, a victory garden, you didn't eat. Simple. Um, it was it was just that simple. You know what? And, uh, that's Dr. what I grew Atmar, up with. We're going to have to have you back because we have only <laughs> scratched so? the surface, and we want to make sure your cameras work next time. But this has been an absolute honor and pleasure having you. Uh, PMHOtWater.com. Dr. Yeah. Pat, 
I'm looking Thank forward you for your to patience. our show next week, too. Oh, <laughs> patience. This is great. I love this. Let's just call this a progressive conversation. Okay. That would be fun. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining I us. I love you Mark. all. Thank well, you. Love you, too. Yeah, hugs and kisses. Bye-bye. <laughs> Lots to right, think bye-bye. about. Mark, what a great show. Yeah. Uh, thank you to everybody tuning us in, turning us on. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for all of you for being you and supported this incredible show. And Mark, have fun. We'll see everybody <laughs> next week. We're taking calls from listeners next week. Many you blessings. All, All right. right, everybody. See you then. Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio.